listening to the Inside Job, Making CX Work podcast, where we share how you can make customer experience transformation a reality. Welcome to another episode of Inside Job, Making CX Work. I'm your host, Jose Fabrion, and with me today is Matt Nager, the Chief Strategy Officer of Merkle Americas. Today, we're going to dive into understanding digital transformation, specifically what marketers need to know. I'm really happy to have Matt here with us. Matt and I have worked together for six years. He's really smart, really fun, and really tells it like it is. So uh, I, I'm hopeful that you'll, you guys will get a lot out of today's today's episode. So Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Jose. And I appreciate the uh, the nice comments there. Um, obviously, you know, been been working with you at Merkle for the last six years. I've had a uh, variety of roles over my time at Merkle. I came into Merkle through a search agency that I had built in the late '90s and and up into the early 2000s, and we were brought into Merkle to help kind of start to build out Merkle's digital transformation, which I think is very apropos to today's dialogue about how we approach that how companies should be really be thinking about kind of the next evolution of digital transformation and, you know, where we see the future coming through. I know we wrote the, the customer experience imperatives this year, really centered around the idea of doing a, you know, what you need to do from a data transformation perspective, what you need to do from a digital transformation perspective, and then kind of that third pillar of how do you organize and how do you think about organizing a business around, a digital first environment, a digital first customer experience. So excited to get into some of the details here and excited to, you know, hear your perspective as we talk our way through it as well. That, that's awesome. So, you know, I, I always find that things like digital transformation sounds like some big ominous thing. And I, I think it's important when, when talking about these things to kind of define what we're talking about. So when we talk about digital transformation, you know, what does that mean to you? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where I agree. The the words tend to lose their focus if you don't think about them the right way. And, you know, I, I hesitated a lot on the idea of discussing, you know, digital transformation because I think it can sound like, oh, I need to go build a website, which is what digital transformation was seven, eight, nine years ago. Yep. And I think in today's world, you start to think about the idea that it's not really digital transformation from a become digital perspective as much as it is a think digital first, but more importantly, think the customer experience first, which we know really all originates from a digital perspective today. You know, so I, I think you can go the ominous route of what digital transformation is, but I think as you and I have seen over our time here at Merkle, it's really the idea of taking what you're you know, the way that you think, the way that you plan, the way that you execute and thinking of how does the customer experience this? And there's a there's a tendency to also think about, and I know we've seen this together, the, you know, digital transformation is really only about the things you do off of a, you know, off of an online world, you know, and in today's world, really, I like to to make the point to people that, you know, Digital should be in everything that you do. It should be in your online experience. It should be in your offline experience in new ways. And, you know, I think as we've seen that with, you know, digital out of home as an example, or even you see some of the 
the card marketplaces where digital payments is a critical component where you wouldn't have thought of that as digital transformation four or five years ago. So. Right. So, so from your perspective, it's really more about just transforming the experience from the customer's point of view and making that better. The fact that it's digital is some, somewhat of a, you know, it, it's just, it's just there. It's like people calling uh, marketing digital. It's a lot of it's digital anyway. Right. So here it's just focusing on being customer centric. Yeah. When you, when you talk about it and you know, these dialogues with customers where they say, Oh, well, we've got to focus on our digital experience versus our offline experience. Well, no, they're both the same thing. You know, right. people are carrying around mobile phones in their pocket today that, you know, have more processing power than the supercomputers we were using in the late nineties when, when I first started getting into the digital space. Right. Yeah. And so it's not like this other thing. Everything is digital. Everything originates with a digital experience. And critically, that first experience is actually the most important. Because if somebody finds that you're difficult to deal with in a digital environment, they're certainly never going to try and deal with you in, a, in an in-person environment. And I think we've seen a lot of that. Yeah. And so, so does that mean... So when we think about transformation, do we focus primarily on marketing or is it really more than marketing in that, in, in that sense? Yeah, I, I think it's a lot more than marketing. I think it's about the, you know, the touch points of the experience. It's about cashless checkout. It's about automated ability to pick up at the curbside. It's about the idea of being able to shop online and then just go and pick up the product that you've already selected in the store without having to go through the, you know, the, what can sometimes be a very painful retail process. You know, so I think when you think about this, it's it's how is the customer perceiving it? What's their expectation? What's the outcome of that expectation? And as you look at that full spectrum, how can data and digital activity and insight give you better understanding of the needs of the customer that you can then react better to? I don't right. know if that makes sense. Is that yeah. So, so if I, if I were to say that back, I'd say that transformation is really not limited to marketing. It's using the data that you have to power the experiences, regardless of where the consumer meets you, whether it's that, that uh, curbside pickup, whether it's in a call center, wherever it is, but, but using the information that you have to anticipate and, and uh, provide the best experience possible. Yeah, totally. And, and I'll even give you the other side of the, you know, that we mentioned that curbside pickup thing, right? I can't tell you how many times I've driven to somewhere to do a curbside pickup and the message in front of the store is call this number and, and talk to somebody to get your order brought to you. Yep. That's a, that's a break in the experience, right? I ordered it digitally. I came to your location, may have used navigation to get there. And when I got there, why do I have to go in and make a phone call where 90% of the time I'm waiting on hold, right? There's not an automated easy way for that to happen. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great example. And I think in today's world, like we're all dealing with this, right? If you could pull up and there's an automatic beacon that goes from the app that says this person's in the parking lot and they placed an order and the order's here, why don't you just walk into their car? that's a seamless digital experience, right? That's something where you could see it, you could 
feel it, you can get the experience on your side and, you know, you're surprising and delighting somebody at that point versus creating another mechanism for frustration. Absolutely. Right? I'm waiting in a line in my car to call you, to tell you I'm outside, to have you tell me when and where and how you're going to bring the product out. We already know I'm there. The app tells you that I'm there. The beacon tells you that I'm, you know, in line and ready to drive through. Just make it automatic. So I think those are the kind of things where you think of digital transformation and you start to think a different way. And that's an environment that goes along with, you know, 5G is going to come through and we're going to see exponentially greater touch points of this as we work our way over the next few years. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, I think I think a lot of the, if you will, the industry talk is focused primarily on retail because it's had really such a, you know, such an impact this year, right? We we know that e-commerce has risen. A lot of the kind of touchless service and things like that has risen. How, how does how does transformation look in other industries, right? So retail is kind of simple. We all see it, but it it's really got to happen across the board. What are some examples that you see out there? Well, let me give you a couple, right? So I am I am in the middle of you know this stay at home process that I've been doing for nine months now, and I work in this little room in the top corner of my house. And one of the things that I'm doing now that I've got a little bit of time between the holidays is I'm going to be doing a bunch of things around the house to upgrade, improve, make the office environment a little bit better. I've got a, I've got a company that I've already started to connect with online that's going to help with some of that stuff, right? Like I need to repaint all my cabinets in the kitchen, which by the way, is a very long and tedious process. Um, that I didn't know anything about, but I was able to interact with this company on their website, have them show me in a step-by-step walkthrough process that I could navigate my way through exactly what they would be doing. And then I can make a choice of what components I want them to do versus what components I want to do. And in the end, I get a custom quote for the things I need help with. And then I get directions for how to do the things that I don't need help with. So that's more of a service environment where it's been 100% digital. I haven't spoken to anybody. I've got an appointment for them to come out and do the specific things that I need. And I've got trust and faith because the experience was smooth and consistent and informative. And I'll give you another example. I bought a car earlier this year. And, you know, I've bought any number of cars over my lifetime, probably way more than I should admit here in a podcast. Um, I tend to only keep a car for a few years for some reason. I, I went through the entire experience of finding the vehicle, selecting the vehicle, looking at inventory, picking the inventory, and being ready to buy the vehicle before I ever spoke to anybody at the dealership, before I ever negotiated anything on price. I was able to price compare to sales from other dealerships in my area because I was working through the manufacturer's website. And I literally bought the car in 20 minutes because I drove to the dealership. I handed them the keys for my old car, which I had also bought from the same dealers, which may have made it easier. They handed me the paperwork. I signed it. They handed me the new keys and I walked out. I can't tell you in, in any number of times, and I'd, challenge, I'd ask you the same question, Jose, have you ever bought a car in under five hours? The answer is no. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is retail, but it's also, you know, 
I, I, there's a home project that I just talked about. There's an automotive purchase product, you know, that I just talked about. It extends into new things. And the point of it is as a customer or as a person that wants to buy a service or as a person that wants to buy a product, I no longer have to deal with all the frustration that you had to go through before. There was no, like, I need to schedule somebody to come out to give me a quote, to give me an estimate, to then explain to me all the things, to show me all this paperwork and put me in a high pressure environment versus just simply saying, tell us what you need. We'll give you the parts that you need. We'll do the parts that you need us to do. And we'll both be able to make that choice and decision as to it's whether or not it's worth it for us to do the project. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, from my perspective, one of the things you said earlier was really around how if if people don't interact with your digital experiences well, they, they won't come into your physical experiences. And one of the things that this conversation it has as a takeaway for me is that I can't look at my competitors as my traditional competitors. I've got to sit there and say from a customer experience experience perspective, I'm dealing with Amazon and Apple and everybody and Uber and all those different companies that have really upped the game here. And so my my customers, my consumers expect that type of fluidity across apps, channels, call centers, et cetera. And, and realistically, regardless of which industry you're in, you really have to up your game in that, in that area. Yeah. And think about it. Think about the first time you ordered an Uber or a Lyft or something like that. And I, I remember, you know, being like, well, why couldn't you just go outside in New York and hail a cab? Well, if you ever tried to hail a cab at rush hour when you've got a flight in or in the rain hours or in the rain or yeah, Yeah. or, you know, just walking out into a busy intersection where nobody wants to pull over. Well, that pain and frustration is gone. But you're right. That is now the the expectation that I have for companies that I would have never had that expectation of before. And I think companies have struggled with it. I think the, you know, Netflix has set a barometer for all of us that is, you know, it's a little utopian, in fact, right? And, and the fact I use this one as a good example all the time, I can pick 10 people out of a room, ask all 10 of them to log into their Netflix account and guarantee you that no two of those accounts looks the same. No two of those accounts makes the same recommendations on content. No two of those accounts has the same structure, style, and format to the homepage. They're all personalized. Yeah. And that expectation comes along with every expectation that I have. And I'll I'll even make a, I also like to relate this stuff back to some of us older viewers and listeners here. Um, You know, you used to select the store that you would shop at based upon the person that you talked to at the store, the salesperson. I can't tell you how many retailers I have stopped shopping at for multiple years at a time because I had a bad experience with a sales associate. And that experience with that sales associate sets my mindset as to every associate, whether that's an auto mechanic, whether that's a, you know, a high end purchase, a low end purchase, it's all measured on the same thing. Well, Netflix has now done that for every service that we have. Right. Amazon is a good follow to it. And if you think about Amazon, Amazon really started to take hold because of the fact that the return policy was easy. 
the they bought a company called Zappos, where Zappos's whole thing was if you get a pair of shoes and you don't like it, we don't care why. Send them back, we'll send you a new one, and we'll pay the shipping. Right? That's how they differentiate it. So the experience is the differentiator today. Absolutely. I just returned stuff to uh, Amazon yesterday via Kohl's. It was super yeah. easy. Didn't have to package anything. Yeah, exactly. You just walked it into a, a, a destination point, dropped it off and left. You yeah. know, it's, oh, I also, I, I like to think of it like when you see the shopping malls at Christmas time that put the, um, the free gift wrapping center in the middle of the mall. Yeah. Right. You know, Makes it a whole lot easier to buy all your stuff right in the stores, right around the gift wrapping center, take them over, have them gift wrapped. And now you don't have to do any of the things that are frustrating about the Christmas experience yeah. in terms of gift giving. Right. It certainly helps me out. Yep. Plus, plus they look a lot better than when I wrap them in my basement, you know? Yep. So. so I'm going to, I'm going to poke at you here a little bit, Matt. All um, right. So I've heard that digital transformation is really just about getting new front end software. And once you buy that, you know, all your, all your problems will be solved. Your yeah. Yeah. I hear that a lot. I hear that of go out and buy this entire marketing suite from this other, you know, from whomever your provider is, and it's going to solve all the world's problems. The fact of the matter is people solve problems. Software enables it. And so when you think about the software, there are all kinds of things that you would want to do. You need the software to make it capable of doing it, but you need the people to have the ideas, the people to understand the experience and, and measure that experience against other experiences. And I oftentimes look at, there's a, a graph that I use of next best offer, which is the way that we ran marketing for 15 years to next best action, which has been the way that we've run marketing for the last three to four years, to next best experience. And I'll get real specific on the difference, right? Next best offer is how do I incentivize you to buy the product? What kind of discount do I need? Is the offer better if I add a warranty product to it? Is the offer better if I give you some kind of perceived value proposition to it? That's next best offer. It is totally product-based and it is totally company-based. How do I give you some different message with a different offer that either confuses you and therefore you think you're getting something you're not or just takes my margin away by giving you a discount that I maybe didn't want to give? Next best action is person A was going through this journey and at this step in the journey, this is the next step that is most likely to get them to make a purchase. Now, that step's important, and that's great when you think of it from next best to action perspective, because it could be, I need to send them an email, make it a private conversation. It could be, I need to send them a sample and let them look at a, you know, a paint swatch so that they can decide whether or not it's going to look right in their kitchen. Um, it could certainly be the, the next best action is serve up a different piece of content on the website. Now, let's talk next best experience. Next best experience is what's going to be the most valuable thing to me as the customer in terms of helping me to make my decision. 
helping me to make the right choice, helping me to decide whether or not I want a relationship with this brand or this company or this person that I'm interacting with. And I think that's a big difference. So you can't solve that with just software. You have to solve that with software, with data, but also with new processes and new points for people to inform what that experience looks like because the best experience today will not be the best experience tomorrow. Right. And I think that's the other critical component. Like, you know, I, I remember in the early days of paid social advertising and everybody said, well, you know, a Facebook ad runs out of its effectiveness after 24 to 48 hours. No, the ad was perfectly effective. You got different people that saw the ad differently, that perceived the value differently, that interacted with it differently, and therefore made it look like another ad was going to be better. So all people were doing from a marketing perspective was just constantly chasing what the value to the next audience was going to be. And so they were creating and creating and creating, but not really analyzing why did that ad work at this time on this day with this group of people. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I really like the point about the next next best experience really being that that intersection between what the customer needs and wants to do and also where the company really has a vested interest in what's going on, where those two things meet, that's where that ne next best experience comes about. And also the simple fact that uh, you know, and, and math alone or technology alone can't really solve that equation on its own. It can help, it can enable it, but you have to really be consider that, that person's mindset, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to achieve, and make sure that the experience supports that versus just put out another offer in front of them. Yeah, yeah. You're going to get me to use all my consistent go-to lines here, Jose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always have the conversation with our analytics teams around this idea that 100% of the things that have never been done can't be predicted or, or explained analytically before you do them. The, the Gretzky because method? Yeah, exactly. If, if nobody's ever done it, you can't tell me whether or not it's going to work. And the analytics people get a little frustrated with that because they're like, no, I can predict. You can predict based on things that have happened. You can't predict based upon the anomaly that we're going to create. Next best experience is about creating more anomalies that are unique to the individuals that you're having the conversation with. So. That's yeah. the way I tend to look at it is you need you need both sides. You need good analytics to understand. You need good data to be able to inform. But more importantly, you need customers that are also willing to interact. And that's why the experience is important, because if the, the customer doesn't feel valued and comfortable at every touch point, they're not going to come back and interact with you. Right. Yeah, and we know that from our own experiences. That's not... That's not yeah. unique. I, I will not name a company that I'm dealing with right now, just for the for all sorts of reasons. But um, they are really driving me friggin' nuts. They are not uh, they are not supporting a ne next best experience in any way, shape, or form right now. All yeah. right, well, let, let's let's um, let's turn the topic a little bit. Let's get into like you know, let's talk. We'll get away from the theory and a little bit more into the trenches here, right? So, if we think about digital transformation and all the components here and experience and you know, different industries and things like that. It, that that's 
wonderful and helpful, but how, how do people get started? It, it feels like a lot. How do people make this bite size and how can they, how can they get going on a digital transformation? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, if you look at the potential outcomes, it can be overwhelming. Right. And I think the, there's a couple of components. The first of which is you have to start thinking about content from a modular perspective because there are literally millions of iterations that you're eventually going to drive your way into. And it doesn't mean you need millions of assets. It means you need assets that are easily accessible and easily able to be utilized. So I think you have to think of the how do we produce that amount of content perspective. And that's partially technology, and it's also partially people. On the other end of it, you've got to think about what can I reasonably consume as an organization? And what's the right time frame for that? One of the biggest mistakes I see is people te- you know, coming in and saying that, you know, I, I want to have this transformation done in the next six months. Well, it, it, that's one, not going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's not, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. The fact is you're going to make mistakes. You have to be willing to make mistakes. And, and you know, the, there's a book that, that talks about this idea. And it's an older book. It talks about failing fast and learning quick. And it's not the big that eat the small. It's the fast that eat the slow, right? It, the idea of being able to think through and understand that failure is going to exist is the first step. Because if everything worked perfectly every time you did it, well, then none of us would have a job because it would have all been solved already, right? The ongoing iteration is what you have to commit to. And you have to commit to building your learning objectives. What's your agenda look like for what you want to learn? And not necessarily what tests do you want to prove? What do you want to learn from the tests that you do? Do you want to learn more about your customer? Do you want to learn more about the value of your product? Do you want to learn more about the value of different touch points in the experience across the customer's journey? That's that's kind of the first step. The second piece is then saying, what am I going to do with it? Once I learn it, then do I have the ability to interact it? Do I have the ability to make the change that's going to be necessary that the data is going to tell me? Or am I going to be stuck in this cycle of knowing the problem but not being able to solve it? The way that I think you get past that is you do chunk it up, right? And you say our objective in, you know, step one is to solve three things over the next three months. Put your focus on that. It's why agile marketing has become so important to most organizations and this idea of agile being put the right people in the room that are empowered to make decisions and move quickly. Right. So the first step, if you really kind of put me, put the screws to me, Jose, and you said, give me step number one in doing anything. Step number one is put an agile marketing organization in place. You don't have to be perfect at it. It doesn't have to be Kanban or Scrum or, you know, Spotify or any of those individual specific things. But what it has to be is I have eight departments inside of my company. And I know somebody from each one has to be accountable for the output of that department. I'm going to put them in a room and I'm going to give them a path to getting um, successful accountability into the process. The mechanisms that you do from there, you know, all tend to fall off, right? 
that group will say, this is a problem, let's go solve that problem today, let's go solve this problem next week. Then you just have to start looking at the barriers and the barrier takedowns are, are you know, really where the next step of that process comes into play. And so, so to me, that would, that would, a prerequisite for that in my mind is that you've got somebody who is, who's buying in on all this, right? <laughs> they can make these things happen because you and I know in large companies, sometimes these, these groups are, are separated and they have different owners yeah. and, and that sort of thing. And so that, that type of an approach sounds great, but in, in practice, it's often difficult to get done. What would you say to that? Yeah, I, I think it's got to have executive sponsorship. But I also think that it has to have, you know, the next two layers down of leadership, right? And those are different things. So like when you think of executive sponsorship, it's a CEO, a CMO, a CIO saying we want to do this, right? The people that are incentivized to then make it happen, one, they have to be incentivized to do that. And two, they have to be empowered to do it, which means they can't have to go to the CEO every week and get approval for what these changes are going to be. They've got to be trusted. They've got to understand the business. They've got to understand the customer, but they also have to believe in the change that you're trying to make. And all too often where I see it is you see a CMO or a CEO saying, we're going to do this. And you see the vice president of marketing or the you know, the chief digital officer or the chief customer officer that's like, yeah, but that's not really what I think is going to make us successful. I've seen that plenty of have that consensus. You yeah, know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so true. I mean, you know, I, I can think of one company where everyone's like, yep, yeah, I, I heard you, but we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Well, and oftentimes it's because that's how they make their bonus. Yeah. It, or that's exactly how they get the their promotion. Right. If I'm incentivized for more product sales, but I'm not incentivized for better experiences, which of the two do you think I'm going to focus on? Yeah. I'm going to give the next best offer because the next best offer is going to sell more product. But the next best experience is going to add value to the bottom line of business. And I like to think of experience as driving shareholder value. Offer is driving revenue and action is really driving, you know, the the incentivization of somebody's job, right. right? Next best action is to move somebody across the journey. Next next best experience is to get somebody invested in the journey. And that's a big difference. It's a really big difference. And you know, which which gets to one of my favorite points, which is really around how do you how do you look at value in these situations? I mean, I can tell you from my own experience, I know you've been in the situation where you know, you're in these transformation projects, and while there was buy-in in the beginning, about six months in, it's kind of like, what am I getting here, right? So, how how should companies, how should listeners, you know, really think about value realization as they look at a, 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 a transformation? Yeah, I'm a big believer that you have to think of these things from a business case perspective. And when you do that, what you look at is the long-term value of a relationship with a customer. Now, look, some places are not long-term value relationships, right? And, and some places are my customer relationship is three days. You know, when you think about a, a CPG company as an example, yeah, there's a long-term relationship that they want to build there, but it's really hard to assign value. 
without a business case. So the business case then shows you when actions create value as much as when purchases create value. And I think that's the key, right? Like you have to be able to balance those two, but you have to have the full spectrum in front of you. You have to be able to look and say, if this customer does these things, they are much more likely to make five purchases than they are to make three. And if they make five purchases, obviously the bottom line falls through, but you've got to have ongoing, really solid analytics that show the outcome of that. Right. So the business case you build has to then have an analytic plan behind it. And then you've got to be very, I would say, regimented in your adherence to the things that you thought on day one. Right. And, and that is our objective is to create long-term sustainable relationships or our objective is to create short-term increases in basket size as an example. Because if it's short-term increases in basket size, that's an offer-based program. Let's just go deal with that. And let's right. that that's what we're going to deal with, right? If it's a, as an example, we've got some quick serve restaurants that we work with. If their sole objective is to sell the next promotional product, because the next promotional product is going to create buzz and excitement and probably bring more people to the to the um, to their restaurants in a shorter period of time, great. You have to you have to think and market and design that way. But the fact is, it's not going to create a. I'm going to come back here every time, right? My favorite example of this, and I. I I have a lot of friends that are talking about the McRib sandwich coming back at McDonald's. They're like, I never go to McDonald's, but every time they bring the McRib back, I, I go in and get one. And, you know, we can all have our own opinion on the value. I, of the I have mine. Each is our so own. I have, <laughs> I have, everybody has their own. I have mine as well. Like, I, I, it's just, it's not for me, you know, but I also know other people where it's absolutely for them and I'm going to end up going to McDonald's with them because that's just how it's going to work, right? But it's not creating a long-term relationship. Now, on the other end of that, when McDonald's does digital boards that are customized to the people that are driving through, so you see product that's more relatable to me, that digital board's a big investment. It's a big investment as a business. But what it does is it, it, it makes my process for coming through and ordering easier shows me the things that are relevant to me and maybe captures more of my attention to say, yeah, this is a place that knows me and this is a place I'm going to go to more often. So you can see right there, two big differences from the same brand. Absolutely. One is a product that comes out, what? I don't even know how often the McRib comes out, like once every five years or something, I think. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but the other end of it is a daily touch point for a lot of people. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, to me, the one thing I would just add to that is, yes, you have to have the the business case and understand where you're going to get value and all these things. But in my own personal experience, it's really important to make sure you are clear on where your quick wins are going to come from. Because, you know, in my view, when some of these projects, you know, get in, you know, in the throes of it, there's, there's always a question of like, what, what have we, what have we gotten out of this yet? And you have to have the answer for that fairly early on to reduce kind of the skepticism uh, of moving forward is my personal observation in this area. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I, I would agree with you. You do have to have your quick wins and, and those always have to be, have to be there. 
and that's really where your analytics comes in, right? Like showing that quick win and showing the long-term value of that quick win is a component part of filling back in the business case, right? right? You can't make a business case. It's all about five years down the road. We're going to see value. It has to be, you know, what value we're going to get in six months, what value we're going to get three months in some cases. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of dip our toe in to this environment and look, that's okay. You know, you don't have to jump in the pool with both feet off the 10, 10 meter board. You know, you can sit on the edge and put your feet in and see if the water feels all right, you know, and, and if it does get a little closer, you know, but at some point you have to jump in. Yeah. You have to push through that dip your toe stuff in to get the real value out of this. Right. Exactly. You, exactly. you can't just do the, the little you know, novice style programs. Once you see that it can work, you've got to really push in and, and make it better and make it bigger. Yeah, totally agree. So, you know, as, as we look to, to wrap up this episode, Matt, what, what are some of the mistakes uh, you've seen happen that others should just clearly avoid? Like, like quick, quick tips for don't do this. Yeah. I, I mean, the first of which is, don't think that the things that you know on day 30 and month four are the things that you're going to know in month 12, right? Like there's a lot of people that think that once they learn something, it's going to stay that way. It's not. It's going to change. Customers change every day. No matter what business you're in, tomorrow's needs are always different than yesterday's. So the the first thing I would say is if you build your plan and you build your your efforts and your programs on what happened last time we did this and not on what is the new for the future, you're going to fall short at some point. At some point, the market's going to replace you. The second thing, and you brought it up earlier, and I love the, the statement of you're no longer competing with the people that sell the same product. And I like to say it that way because it's those are still your competition, but really they're just the people that sell the same product. You're competing for the the affection of the customer based upon what the customer is getting from everybody else that they experience. So keeping that tunnel vision of, well, company A that's in, that's my competitor is doing this thing and I got to be in parity. No, you actually have to be beyond parity unless you're at the forefront of the industry, right? Like, you know, you think of Walmart and Amazon. It's a great example, right? Walmart is making things, making changes to their business to try and catch Amazon. When 15 years ago, I would have, I would have been hard pressed to convince somebody that was going to be the world today, right? I saw a thing on the news this morning that there's been approval by the FCC for drone package delivery um, in a in a nighttime environment. It's amazing right? times. It's amazing times. Five years ago, I'll show you the video. When it, you know, Next time we see each other, Jose, I'll take you and show you the video. There was an Amazon video that showed exactly how they were going to do that. So they've been pushing it. They've made the change. Now everybody else has to keep up with it. And it's affecting UPS. So it's affecting delivery services. 
It's affecting retailers that don't have that capability. So it's a retailer differentiation. It's affecting service providers where when I can go to bed and wake up in the morning and the package that I bought at three in the afternoon is on my doorstep the next morning, that's going to be a whole different level of expectation when I call somebody to ask for a quote for a project and they tell me it's going to take them three weeks to get here. Yeah. You know, of course, there's Michael Jordan's golf club, too, that delivers beer via drone. So, yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I think that's it, like, right? The, the biggest mistakes are, one, expecting everything to go perfectly. It's not. Two is over-investing in technology and under-investing in the organization and the people and the, the thought process behind the marketing. And then three is, you know, maintaining a view of your box in terms of the product that you're selling in comparison to other products like it versus the customer that you're trying to, to have a conversation or relationship with and there are other conversations and relationships. So if you ask me for three things, those are the three. Okay. I think that's great. I, I love the point about not over-investing in technology and under-investing in people because um, you know, we, we've certainly seen that happen. Thanks so much, Matt, for this valuable info. Keep an eye out for our next episode on how to get started with data transformation with our guest, Galen Almeida. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time as we continue exploring the customer experience transformation journey.